How many of you have been to church before? How many of you heard preachers get up here and talk before? Yeah, me too. I was whelped on a church pew. But I want you today, if you will, to just kind of stop all the wheels. Because I'm telling you the truth. I think the church in America has pretty much somehow lost its grip on what I'm going to talk about today. If you can get this, I promise you on my honor as a man of God, it will change your life. All right. You come to church all your life. You hear a lot of great messages, a lot of great truth. All of it's good if you're in a good church with a good preacher. Most churches are good places to be, and most preachers are probably pretty good guys. But let's go back, and let's ask ourselves a question. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step into cow patty now. It's all right with you? Where, where are all the miracles? Somebody said every day. People don't see them. But I think a lot of times the church doesn't walk in them to the extent it should. I think we do see miracles here and there every day. And people don't recognize them as miraculous. I agree with that. And I also believe that we should be seeing a whole lot more miracles than we do. Now, I'm going to get into this hot and heavy in a minute. But before I do, I want you to just go back with me 2,000 years. What's, what's the difference between the church now and the church right after Jesus rose from the dead and was taken up to heaven? What's the difference? The difference is pretty remarkable to me. And if you think about it, it makes sense. Right after Jesus had ministered for three and a half years, done incredible miracles, you realize the miracles Jesus did? I mean, landmark stuff, once-in-a-lifetime stuff. Everywhere he went, he was casting out demons. Raising the dead, open blinded eyes, cleansing lepers, crippled people that had never walked a day in their life were standing up, giving glory to God, running around a pool. Jesus had lived and been tried, beaten half to death, hung on a cross between two thieves in a place so cosmopolitan, king of the Jews had to be written in three different languages. A murderer's criminal's execution. And then he'd been put in a borrowed tomb. Everybody thought that was the end. We know the story. Three days later, the angels come. They roll the stone away. Jesus walks out, resurrected king, victorious over death, hell, and the grave with the keys of death in his one hand and the keys to the grave and hell in the other. Re risen, victorious conqueror. He promises the Holy Spirit, tells the disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait. Some days later, about 500 people see him float up to heaven on a cloud. Now, put yourself there. You're one of the followers of Jesus. Our church was sitting there looking as Jesus rose into the sky. You've just, you followed him for three and a half years. He was the only one of his kind. There's never been another one. There never will be another one. 100% man and 100% God together in one. There ain't ever going to be that again. Nobody, nowhere, no how, no time, no way. Many years ago, I flipped a house, made some money on it. Not a lot, but some. And for my 25th year anniversary, a couple, and, a couple of friends of mine, and Pastor Donna and, and I went to Rome. Not Georgia, the real Rome. <laughs> Yeah, we're big. We're going to Rome. We might make it to Cartersville. <laughs> While we were there, we went, of course, to the Vatican. 
And we went into several areas there, the Sistine Chapel and St. Peter's Basilica. And I'm going to tell you what, I'm not going to get into it here because I know this is being broadcast, but you need to be prayed up before you go to St. Peter's Basilica. But I came around the corner, and there behind glass and bars was, I believe it was da Vinci's marble statue that he had carved with his own hands of the Madonna and the child. Now look, that's not just a great work of art. That's the only one. There ain't another one anywhere, and there's never going to be another one. Leonardo da Vinci, a man who was five to seven hundred years ahead of his time, carved that with his own hands. There it sits. There's only one. I've studied Leonardo da Vinci all of my life. Now, just like there's only one Madonna and child, there's only one Jesus Christ. After his, re- after his death and resurrection, he goes away. 500 people see him ascend bodily into heaven. Then the disciples go to the upper room and all the people with them. And I'm kind of amazed that within 10 days, it went from 500 to 120. What happened to the other 380 people? Probably, probably scrolling their cell phones. Anyway, let me ask you this common sense question. I think that one of the biggest differences between the New Testament church or the believers in Jesus immediately after his resurrection and ascension versus the commonality of the church now is our level of intensity about Jesus, the man himself. They existed in the wake, in the immediate reverberation of the greatest events the world has ever seen. They lived in the afterwash of that. And Jesus had said, in the same way that you see me go, I'm coming back. They believed his coming was like any day. If you'd have told them it'll be 2,000 years and he still won't be back, they would have laughed at you. The disciples, the followers of Jesus were absolutely consumed. They were on fire. They were obsessed with the notion that Jesus, number one, was the Messiah, and number two, his coming, his return was imminent. And that when he said, his last words were, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. When he said that, his followers took that to heart. Go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. His disciples took that to heart. They believed what Jesus said because he had just, just now, just now, days ago, had lived and died and lived and rose. And they lived in the, in the swirl of those global transformative events. We, on the other hand, can you imagine living back then? Can you imagine being part of that group? I wonder what they talked about on a daily basis. This is really what I'm coming to, so I'm just going to run there. What do you think the average weekly conversation of the followers of Jesus was about? Do you think they sat around and binge-watched Netflix? I'm not saying that's a sin. I'm just picking a subject. It's not a sin to watch Netflix. Do you think they talked about their favorite sports star? And I know we're having fun because it didn't exist back then. But what do you think they talked about? I can tell you what they talked about all day long. They talked about Jesus. They talked about Peter walking on the water. They talked about the incredible catch of fish. They talked about angels they had seen. They talked about the leper who was covered with boils and pus and his fingers were rotten off and you had masks on his face so he couldn't see the gaping hole where his nose used to be. They talked about how he was made whole. They talked about a man who'd been blind from birth and suddenly he could see. They talked about a little girl who was dead and suddenly she rose again to life. They talked about how Jesus had spoken words that transformed him. They talked about a crowd 15,000 people and there ain't no Wendy's or Chick-fil-A nowhere and Jesus blesses some loaves and some fish and 15,000 people eat. They talked about the miracles. They talked about the power. They talked about the glory. They talked about the anointing. They talked about His words. They talked about Jesus. 
And they talked about the fact, when is he going to come back? And they talked about these crazy disciples that stayed in a room for 10 days and came out talking funny with fire on their head and doing stuff. I'm here to tell you if it were not for the upper room, none of us would even know who Jesus was today. I believe that. What are you getting at, preacher? What are you, what are you saying? What are you, what are you targeting right now? Here's what I'm targeting. I believe we have lost, not life point, and not many of you personally and individually, but I believe by and large, many of us, yeah, many of us in this room and many of us who call ourselves Christians around the world today have lost what it means to walk by faith. We have lost what it means. We understand it, but we don't walk in it the way we could. And I believe a lot of Christians walk in faith, but not to the level that they could. The difference between the greatest of all time and the average is really huge. If you stop and think about it. How many Michael Jordans are there going to be? There aren't going to be any. I watched some clips of him the other day. He's just different. All the other great players not taking anything away from them. But they don't do what Michael Jordan did the way he did it. I don't care how many points they score. I don't care what their stats say. Michael Jordan is in a class by himself, in my opinion. In his prime, Jack Nicholas was just different. When you saw, you saw Jack coming down and he had that, and he walked with his hands like this. That little blonde-haired man's going to hit that golf ball now. Muhammad Ali. Nobody's ever fought like Muhammad Ali. There are just some people that are different. The only man to walk on water outside Jesus was Peter. But he did it. Yeah, I know he sank. But he walked on the water. What's What's happened? When's the last time? And I'm not trying to be cocky here because I haven't either. I mean, last week, I didn't go to the local cemetery and raise four or five people from the dead on my lunch break. <laughs> okay, today, Ralph, Susie, and, and, and Ernest, you know, get up! Hey! I didn't do that. What happened to raising people from the dead? What happened to laying hands on the sick and they recover. What, what happened to financial miracles? What happened to the kind of faith that doesn't just hope and wring our hands and pray, but that reaches up for the realm of the miraculous? I think it's been lost in conversations about TV programs and streaming programs. I think it's been lost in conversations about politics. I think it's been lost in our concern about our economics and our financial situation. I think it's been lost in a lot of the social issues of our day. I think it's been lost and substituted by things that may be interesting, but they are never going to transform our lives. I want to talk to you briefly, and then we're going to pray. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was, was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not even experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards. He does what? Those who do what? Earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness. 
that is in keeping with the faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with boundaries whose architect and builder is God. And I could go ahead and read all the rest of this. But I want to read another passage to you in Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I've made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. Now listen to this description of God, a very part of his character, a small part. The God who gives life to the dead and, listen, calls things that, as, that are not as though they were. God calls things that are not as though they were. When's the last time the church in America started doing that? I think pretty much we more, more frequently complain about what is and wish it wasn't than calling things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. I want you to underline those words. Abraham in hope believed and so became. I am telling you that is one of the secret keys hidden in the Bible. If you believe, you can become. Say it with me. If I believe, I can become. Say it again. If I believe, I can become. This isn't some weird cultic thing. It's right out of the Bible. He believed and so he became the father of many nations. Without, verse 19, without weakening in his faith. Now listen to this. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. See, a lot of people think that belief is denying the truth. That faith means you just don't talk about the stuff that's, that you don't want to talk about. Just don't just pretend it's not there. That's not faith. Faith is facing the facts without weakening in your faith. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Verse 20, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. Think about what Noah did. It had never rained on the earth when Noah built the ark. Nobody had ever built a boat before that we know of. Noah built an ark, huge. They, you know they've got a life-size reproduction in Kentucky now. I want to go see it. And, and look, don't gripe because the Christian man who built it and put it on display is charging you a fee to go in. Nobody gripes because they have to go to Disney World and pay a fee or Six Flags pay a fee. We understand that. How come when a Christian man builds an ark, he's supposed to build it and go to all that expense and not make any money off of it? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Go pay the man, give him a tip. And be thankful. If anybody deserves to make a little money off something, the man who built Noah's ark deserves to make a little money off something. Ain't nothing wrong with the people of God having some money. But in Noah's mind, there was, there, was no, we know, there was no reason to build a boat this big other than the Word of God. Noah saved the world. Did you ever stop and think about that? We see these movies of these superheroes, you know, Legends of Tomorrow and, and the, all the, the great superheroes out there, DC Comics. I, you know, I'm just going to take a pause here and just tell you. <laughs> Wouldn't you hate to be Batman? It's like, what's your superpower? I'm rich. I have gadgets. Batman. I know a lot of people like the bat. But these guys, the Hulk and Iron Man, Thor, they're all fictional. They didn't save the world. They're never going to save the world. Nobody's ever going to turn into a big green rage monster. 
I know you think your father has, but he really hadn't. Husbands, I know you think your wife has, but she hadn't. Wonder Woman's not coming with her golden lasso and her, her bracelets and, and the sword that kills gods. She's not coming to save the world. I'm sorry. Noah literally saved the world. You know how he did it? He did it by being just stupid enough and crazy enough to believe what God said. Did you hear that? He was just crazy enough to dare to believe what God said. I think many times in America we're so educated, we're so smart, we've been just inundated with humanism at every level. We think faith and believe in God for the miraculous. I'm not talking about you necessarily, but a lot of people in America, they think that's, well, that's the stuff of third world countries who really don't know any better. And really all they're doing is getting themselves all psyched up and, and they're not really getting healed. They just feel better for a minute because they let all these endorphins go and it's all, it's all just physiology. You see, the world tries to explain away everything God tries to do. I know what miracles look like. And I know the God who performs them. Noah saved the world. He saved humanity. Look at Abraham. Abraham had mind-boggling faith. He was 100 years old. Things don't work when you're 100 years old like they did when you were 18. That's what that verse means when it says Abraham knew that his body was as good as dead. Things ain't working like they used to, bro. I ain't as good as I once was. And the Bible says Sarah knew that she's, it ain't happening for her either. She's 90. Things don't look right when you're 90. Things don't work like they used to when you're 90. But you know what? They looked at each other one night. Abraham got that little twinkle in his eye. And Sarah giggled and turned her head. He said, honey, I'm old. She said, I know I am too. We're both fat, ugly, wrinkled, and old. He said, but I love you. And she said, I love you too. Come here, you big hunk of burning love. And nine months later, there was Isaac, the son of promise. Now that took faith, but that to me wasn't the great statement of faith Abraham made. God told Abraham one day, all right, take the son I promised you, the son that I told you through him, descendants like the starthers are the starthers, the starthers of the skies. <laughs> descendants like the starthers of the skies are going to come from Isaac's. <laughs> if you're going to do it, do it good. So Abraham's takes Isaac's and he goes out to the woods with Isaac's. And he finds a rock. Now, I don't know about you. I'm Isaac. I'm 12 years old. I was, I was a pretty big boy at 12. My daddy ties me up, puts wood on a rock, takes a fire, sits it down, and pulls out a knife. I'm going to be talking. Yeah, daddy, I'm, not, I'm your son. <laughs> I love you. I love you. I love you. I cut the grass every day. I clean my room. I promise. I promise. I do the dishes for 10 years. I don't know what Isaac said, but it didn't convince Abraham because Abraham had heard God say, sacrifice your son. Abraham laid Isaac on the wood and drew the knife and raised it over his pale little body and was going to kill him. And we know he was going to kill him because the Bible says Abraham reasoned that even if he killed Isaac, he knew that God had the power to raise him from the dead. Now that, my friends, is faith. That's trusting God beyond what you can see right now. That's living in the moment of trusting God completely. That's rock your world faith right there. David. Of course, we know God said stop. Sent a ram. Isaac lived and through him the whole world was blessed. David, David was fearless. You know, we, we, we forget about David's courage. We, we think about David as king. We see him with a crown. We see him writing the book of Psalms. And we, we see him messing around with Bathsheba and doing all the things that kings do and being wrong. And we, but we forget, as a little shepherd boy, he did what nobody else in the army was willing to do. He turned down Saul's armor, which is commensurate to a counterfeit anointing, he got a five smooth stones, put them in his little haversack. He got his little sling out, and he took a stick with him. 
And he walked out there to face a man who'd been trained as a warrior, who was 9 to 13 feet tall. Nobody knows how big. He terrified the whole army. No man would go fight him. And you know, look, that's an army full of people who hand-to-hand combat trained every day. There were some men's men in the army of Israel. None of them would go out and face Goliath. You know why? Do you know why? It wasn't because Goliath was too big. It was because in their head and in their heart, their God was too small. David walked out and said, You come against me with sword, spear, and javelin. See, he didn't go out there and say, You don't have any weapons. I I just don't confess it in the name of Jesus. He didn't say that. (laughs) He didn't say, Oh, you're, you're crippled all of a sudden. You have asthma. May the fleas of a thousand camels invest your armpits. You know, he didn't say any of that. He said, I see your sword, I see your spear, I see your javelin, you're a big old dude. I got that. He, he acknowledged the truth. He faced the fact. But he did not waver through unbelief. He said, but I come against you in the name of the Lord, the God of the armies of Israel. On this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. You know what David said? He called things that were not as though they were. He said, I am going to cut off your head. And David didn't even have a sword. Think about that. That's like going fishing and saying, I'm going to catch 15 bass that all of them weigh over 10 pounds. And you don't have a rod and reel or a lure in the boat. (laughs) What they're going to do, commit suicide and jump in your boat? It's like going deer hunting. You know, my dad and I did that one time. We got up 4 o'clock in the morning, loaded the boat, bought shrimp, bought ice, bought Cokes, bought groceries, made coffee, loaded the boat up, took off to Georgetown, South Carolina, got there and bought shrimp and bait and minnows and all this stuff, got in the boat, <clears throat> drove 11 miles to the mouth of the Santee River in the ocean, threw out the anchor, looked around, there wasn't a rod and reel in the boat. <laughs> Daddy stood up on the front of the boat like Peter Pan and said, well, son, I reckon we're going home. <laughs> And we did. We went on. David said, I'm going to cut off your head when he didn't even have a sword. Calling things that are not as though they were. I think most Christians spend their time complaining about the things that are instead of calling things that are not as though they were. I think sometimes... We trudge our way across the desert. We fight this battle and we fight that battle. And we see God do some things in our lives, some quail and some manna, some miraculous things. And then we get over here and we we wander around a while and we get to the banks of the promised land. and, And there's a river, one last river to cross. And we look and there's our promised land. And just before God is ready to do the miracle. We just give up because we have forgotten what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. I'm going to give you some stuff, then we're going to pray. Number one, faith starts in the mind, is forged in the spirit, and is finished by our words. You need to get this. It starts in your mind. You've got to stop negative thinking. You've got to stop thinking, I've been poor. My parents were poor. I'm going to be poor. If every time somebody says, man, wouldn't it be great to take a cruise? You just, immediately, you just go negative. <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice. I, I, ain't, I ain't ever going to be able to do that, don't look like. Stop! <laughs> Let me tell you a secret about money. I walked away from hundreds of millions of dollars to do what I'm doing. I could have played professional sports. Two different kinds. I walked away from millions of dollars to do what I'm doing. So I'm telling you, it ain't about money. It's about serving God. But I'll tell you this. Poverty never increased anybody's anointing. And in the kingdom of God, in the body of Christ, we've got this idea that somehow poverty's noble. Somehow being poor and doing without is, is more spiritual. That somehow asking God for financial blessings is greedy and materialistic and fleshly. And it can be. But just, just ask yourself, if you made a million dollars a week, that was your salary. Yeah, I got some. Ooh. Now, look, I don't want to lose you for the rest of this sermon. Just, but if you made a million bucks a week, don't answer. Just think, what really, what would you really do with it? 
I know what every one of you would do. I believe every one of you would give this church $100,000 a week in tithes. I believe that. I believe you'd give to missions. Katie, bar the door. I believe in short order we'd have us a new facility with more than two bathrooms in it. So see, money's not a bad thing any more than fire is a bad thing. Fire can be good or it can be bad. Fire is just fire. It's not about the fire. Oh, pastor's got a lighter. You better believe I got a lighter. I carry one 365, 24-7. Everywhere I go, I carry a lighter. Do you smoke? <laughs> I'm not smoking right now because I ain't on fire. No, I don't smoke either. I carry a lighter for survival. And if you're going to buy a lighter for survival and carry it, make sure it's a Bic. It's the best lighter in the world. Now, what's that fire? What am I going to do with this fire? I could send one of my board members to your house and burn it down. Some of you are going, please do, please do. That way insurance will pay it off and I can buy something smaller. No, I'm not going to do that. We can burn down our house with this. We can set the woods on fire with this. If you're stupid enough, you can hold your hand over it long enough to burn yourself. Or you can build a fire in the woods to keep you warm, cook your food, purify your water. You can actually find your way at night with that. It's not the fire. It's what we do with it. It's not the money. It's what you're going to do with the money. Stop thinking that having money is bad and stop thinking that asking God for financial blessings is fleshly, immature, carnal, and greedy. It's only those things if you are those things. If your mind is to use it for the kingdom, then ask. Let me, let me quote you a verse, James chapter 4. You ready for this? I want to make sure. If you're ready, raise your hand. All right. Prepare thyself. You have not. Oh, here now, Sue, because you ask not. You have not because you ask not. Think of the power in those words. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives to spend what you get on your fleshly pleasures. That's why I'm talking about the motive behind the money is the power that determines whether you get it or not. And it's not just money. Faith starts, but I think a lot of Christians have a negative mindset about money. They see themselves as poor. They see all the wealthy people in the world, and a lot of them are not Christian people. So we begin to subconsciously associate wealth with wickedness. What does the Bible say about that? The Bible says the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. But I think the righteous never come to the place where we start asking the Lord, Lord, you laid up the wealth of the wicked for the righteous. Bring it to me now. What's wrong with a prayer like that? Well, I just want to seek his face. Yeah, seek his face. By all means, seek his face. But God's just not a big head in the sky. <laughs> He's got hands too. Oh, I don't want to seek God's hands. I do. I want to seek God's hands. God's head might not be able to perform surgery on my heart, but his hands can. You know what I'm saying? We know it's not like that. But I want you to get over this. Oh, I just want to seek God's face and not his hand. And we've got, got this drilled into us that asking for financial blessings somehow is wrong. Or believing God to bless us is somehow less spiritual. It's not. It depends on our motivations about it. Faith starts in our mind, is forged in the spirit. Faith is not just getting away from the negative. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? You want your faith to increase, shut off the phone and the computer and the television and the monitor so much of the time and open up the Bible on one of those devices or all and start reading the Word. It's not a sin to be entertained, but it, it, it may be costing us when that's the most important thing that we do and that's the most time we spend. I would venture to say that 90% of the Christians in this country spend more time looking at a screen that does not have the Bible on it than looking at one that does. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith starts in the mind, is forged in the Spirit, and is finished by our words. I told you this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Pastor Don and I went to South Carolina, I took her... We went to Cooper River just to get away. And because it's just the cheapest trip in the world, it costs almost nothing to go. So we went there and uh, passed by a driveway around the lake. And, and on, on your driveway, they'll let you, I guess they let you put up your own street sign. You know, it'll say, walk or way or, or 
you know, Bodkins Boulevard. Whoever lives there, I put their name on it and put street or boulevard or avenue or whatever. This one guy had Murphy's Law Avenue. I thought, you know what? I don't ever want to meet him. I don't want to know him. I ain't going fishing with him. I ain't even going to pet his dog. I don't want to know him. Murphy's Law Avenue. His dog will probably bite you. Murphy's Law. Can you imagine the mentality of that guy? I, ra- I was raised up all my life hearing about Murphy's Law. Listen, if you profess that, if you sow that seed out of your mouth, you're going to reap that harvest in your life. I think a lot of people poison and toxify their future from the bad fruit of their past. We have to stop living, allowing our past experiences to set the rudder for our ship into the future. Listen, I got a, I got a word for you today, for all of us, for me too. We can change. We can stop speaking negativity over our lives. We can stop believing that poverty is a good thing. We can stop being willing to just accept what is and never challenge. We can stop going some in and we can start going all in in the faith. All in in belief. All in in trusting God like we've never trusted Him before. You want to see miracles in your life? Let your faith go all in. We talk about the mechanics of Christianity a lot. Read the Bible, pray, witness, come to church. Yes, tithe, do those things. But if you want to see miracles in your life, you can give everything you own away. You can pray till the cows come home. You can memorize the Bible in every language on the planet. You can bring 10,000 people to this church and we can all move to a new facility next week. But in your heart, if you don't have faith, you're never going to see true miracles in your life. And you're not going to please God. But it doesn't stop there. Faith without works is dead. Our faith is proven by what we do. Our faith is proven by what we do. Say it with me. My faith is proven by what I do. Say it. My faith is proven by what I do. Say it again. My faith is proven by what I do. That's why when... What was his name? I can't think of the guy's name. Stephen Furtick. All I can think of was Stephen Curtis Chapman. This is the great adventure. Stephen Furtick, when Stephen Furtick was talking about giving and the tithe, you know, it, 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 we, he's talking about what we do, not just what we think or what we hope. It's an act, bringing the first fruits. It's important to know that it is not knowing what to do that matters. It is the doing it. I used to be a bodybuilding instructor. When you went to the gym, I was the guy that prepped you for competition, posing and building your muscles up. I know what to do in the gym to get, to get my body in shape. I just ain't doing it right now. <laughs> and part of me, listen, part of the reason why is I've done it so much in the past, I lifted weights nonstop for 20-something years. I was as hard as that steel post right there, almost anywhere I could pick up anything and walk off with it. Cut, rip, shredded, big... But that doesn't help me now. I can't live on the glories of yesterday. Gain some weight, preacher. Yeah, but I used to. I don't see that fella now. I don't either. I know how to raise him from the dead. Hallelujah. I just ain't willing to do it right now. Knowing what to do and doing it are two completely disparate things. I want to challenge you today to stop knowing all about faith and start living it. Not just about money. We're not just talking about money. We're talking about every part of your life. What part of your life is the biggest challenge to you today? What part of your life is giving you trouble today? What part of your life is, has, has negativity growing up in it today? What part of your life, if you could snap your fingers and change it, would you change? This is the way to do it. Living the life of faith. Now listen, this is important. We're going to pray in just a minute. Every miracle in the Bible happened because somebody believed God. I want to say that again. Every miracle in the Bible happened not because God was big and God was powerful and God was good and God just decided. God doesn't wake up one day, take a happy pill and decide, oh, that felt good. Chase that with a shot of coffee and I feel like doing some miracles. No. God gets up every day. You know what he asked the angels? Same thing Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in the earth? God gets gets up every day, not that he sleeps, but figuratively speaking. God gets up every day and he looks for faith in the earth.
as long as you are content with where you are, you'll be there. You know why I think a lot of Christians don't really have a whole lot of deal with faith? Because they're not trying to do anything big enough for God. You ought to be trying to do something big enough for God. It demands of you to have faith. You ought to be trying to do stuff big enough for God that only God can supply what you need to make that dream become reality. Oh, man, I tell you what, if I was someplace, I'd say amen to that. All in dare. I want to dare you today to begin to think, feel, speak, and act faith at a level you never have before about every area of your life. Are you really content to have neck pain for the rest of your life? Are you really content to have knee pain for the rest of your life? Are you really content to not be able to pay your bills and live from week to week struggling and scratching to make money? Are you really content for your life to stay the way it is? If you're not, I challenge you in the name of Jesus to take God at his word like Noah did, like Abraham did, like David did, and rise up and dare to believe God and have faith at a level you never have before. I dare you to do it. I challenge you to do it. No matter what you see, hear, or feel, you all in that thing. All in that thing. When the devil comes and he attacks you, look at it and go, uh-uh, uh-uh. I'm all in you, James 1. But what if things don't go good? James chapter 1. We're teaching this on Wednesday night. You need to be here on Wednesday night. James 1 study is incredible. James 1 says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Start believing, speaking, and asking for things only God could do. Start speaking, believing, and asking for things that only God could do. Look at the impossibles in your life. Look at the things you can't do anything about. Look at the things you feel powerless to change and start believing, speaking, and asking God to intervene on your behalf. But what if he doesn't, preacher? What if he does? One thing's for sure. You ain't got a rod and reel in the boat. You ain't going to catch no fish. One thing's for sure. You don't start having faith. God's got nothing to work with. You start believing. I'm telling you, impossible things can happen if you'll begin to believe God. Impossible things. Impossible things. God is a God who calls things that are not as though they were, and so they become. Radical faith also means radical obedience. Now, we have already taken up the tithe and the offering. I don't want you to run down here to the front and throw sackcloth and ashes on your head and repent in front of the whole congregation. If you have to, that's fine, but I'm not asking you to do that. <laughs> I just happen to have some ashes in my pocket. <laughs> but I wonder if there are people here, after watching the video... And after hearing what Pastor Brad said, and after knowing the Bible commands us to tithe, and then go beyond that into offerings, alms, and sacrificial giving. I wonder if there are people here today who just decided, I'm just not going to do that. Radical faith means radical obedience. Now, it's not gonna, I'm just going to say this to you, because it's the truth. I'm never going to lie to you. It doesn't do you one bit of good to ask God for financial miracles if you're not willing to obey Him with your money. So when, when I first came to be your pastor, it was me and Pastor Lance. We were the only two here in the other building. And there were about 30 discouraged folks. We had a sign out on the road. You put letters on it, change the sign every week. First week I was here, Pastor Lance comes in my office and he says, Pastor, what would you like me to put on the sign? And so I took a three-by-five card and I wrote down, All non-tithers are liars, robbers, thieves, and sinners, and will burn in hell forever. And I gave it to him. And it was hilarious. He said, thank you. And he walked down the hall, and he, he just got slower and slower. <laughs> and he stopped. And he put it down, and he looked up to heaven. I'm sure he prayed. 
And he looked back over his shoulder, and I was standing in the hallway. I went, I got you. He went, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> he said, I, I was going to say this is going to be the most famous church sign in history. <clears throat> of course, we didn't put that up. But, but if I had, it would have been the truth. Because Malachi chapter 3 says, will a man rob God? I think there are, there are bass fishermen riding on the road fishing out of stolen bass boats. People playing golf this morning with golf clubs, and that money belongs in the kingdom of God. Just does. So radical faith means radical obedience. It doesn't just mean about your money. It means, and I want to be careful about young ears, but how about that certain addiction on the Internet that has got more men involved in it than anybody else and some women too? How about that, how about that highly intimate and active addiction? How about that? You think God's going to bless your life? And I'm just going to say, you're watching porn? You think God's going to bless your life and you're watching porn? Come on, guys. We're either going to be Christians or we're going to pretend. I challenge you. I dare you to go all in for God. Purify your heart of everything that contaminates body, soul, and spirit. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Radical faith means radical obedience. Lastly, get ready. If you do this, God always does amazing stuff when his people take him at his word. Every single time. Dave, I want you to come play. I want everybody in the house to stand to your feet. You don't have to answer. I just want to ask you a question. Are you willing... Are you ready? Are you at that place where you're sick and tired of the status quo of your life? Are you willing to dare to step out, to step up, to go all in, to commit to a level of faith like you never have before? I'm going to tell you some of you young people in here something. Some of you kids that are still in school, under 25. You can allow the world around you to dictate to you how you live your life. You can allow your friends and the culture in which we live to dictate to you who you are and how you live. Or you can decide to take God at His word. And you can change your life. You hate your job, you want a different one? Begin to ask. Begin to pray. You've got a chronic condition physically that just won't seem to go away, won't seem to be healed. Begin to pray and ask and do not grow weary in doing good for in due time you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. You've got children that are lost and seem just immersed in paganism. Start interceding for them and don't stop every single day. And in your heart, believe God to do the miraculous. Something you want to do something you want to become that just seems like a mountain too high to cross, I dare you. I dare you to go all in in your faith and start praying and believing and change your attitude. Eradicate every negative word from your vocabulary. Eradicate every negative thought from your vocabulary. You want to get healed from old wounds? I think a lot of Christians are tied where they are by anchors that go back years to old wounds and old disappointments and they just can't seem to break free. Today, you can shatter those chains and you can be made free. You just got to get this. Faith. Faith is the only thing that produces miracles. Now, bow your heads and close your eyes. First things first. None of this is going to work. None of this is going to operate. None of this is our promise that belongs to us unless we're children of God. Now, I don't care how many times you've been to church. I don't care how many times you may have looked up at me and come to this altar. If you want to start living this overcoming life, if you want to start living a life that the Bible calls the abundant life, if you want to start living in the realm of miracles every day, like the New Testament church did, oh, that's not possible. Yes, it is too. We serve the same God. But first things first, we got to get rid of the sin and the compromise and the lukewarmness in our lives.
So this isn't like just any Sunday where I'm asking you to lift your eyes and look at me. This is, this is one that's not necessarily any more important, but it, it may mean something more to your future than anyone ever has because you can't have any of these promises unless you belong to God. And sin is what separates you from God. So I'm going to count to three. And if there's sin in your life, you know it right where you stand. I'm going to count to three. I don't care who you are. If there's sin in your life, when I get to three, I want you to lift your eyes and look at me. But I only want you to do it if you mean business with God. And I'm not saying you mean business just because you want to get the goody out of this service. You want to, you want to have miracles. Yeah, I want that. I want, I want to be blessed. I want miracles. No, you want relationship with God because that's how miracles happen, relationship. But you got to get real, man. You can't play games. You can't play hide-and-seek with God. You can't be a James Bond Christian undercover. We don't need any more of that. It's time you got real. Time you got honest. So I'm going to count to three right now. Don't care who you are. Nobody's judging anybody at this church. We just love each other. If there's sin in your life, you know it's there. When I count to three, if it's there and you're ready to change, when I get to three, lift your eyes and look at me. One, two, three. Lift them up right now. I see eyes going up all over this church. I see eyes going up. Thank God for you. Thank God for you. Praise God for every one of you that lifted your eyes. Praise God for you. Now, I'm going to pray a prayer. I want you to pray this prayer after me, and I want you to mean it with every fiber of your being. Heavenly Father, you know everything about me. Forgive me of my sin. I repent of it all. But repentance means more than I'm sorry. Repentance means I turn away. I turn to you, Jesus. I ask you to come into my heart. Wash me clean by your blood. Be my Savior and my Lord. From this moment forward, I'm your child. And you're my God. And you promised me that I would be a new creation. Thank you, Jesus, for a brand new me. Now let's give God praise for that. <clears throat> Hallelujah.